0: Monday, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of the Frarian and Smith Podcast. What a weekend it was. Not only did we see the Sun Belt pull off multiple upsets over Power 5 programs, but they also had one of the best weeks in recent conference history, finishing seven 10-4 as a conference. And to cap it all off, College Game Day announces last night that they would be in Boone this Saturday as App State host Troy in the first conference matchup of the 2022 season. Caden, I woke up this morning wondering if yesterday was all just a dream.
1: No, obviously, I knew about the college game day news that's been out for a while. But even when you just said that, I got some chills. Like, what a time just to be in the Sun Belt Conference. The Week one, we were we were hyping up this conference saying it was going to be the next premier group of five conference. And, and week two really showed it. I mean, you see the Sunbelt in this national conversation. Now, all of those teams getting some love that pulled off those big wins. So what a time. I mean, you look at the rankings. There's a little bit of room for some group of five teams to sneak in there. And what better teams than the ones in the Sun Belt that performed at a super high level this weekend?
0: Caden, it was interesting, right before this weekend, we started to hear rumblings that there were teams in the group of five that thought that that mantra needed to go away. They play the games over the weekend, and I feel like you could maybe throw the group of five mantra out the window at this point.
1: No, obviously, we see the trajectory of where college football is going with these conferences kind of taking teams and trying to make it very top heavy, but the Sun Belt's proven that wrong. Again, we talked about the regionality of it and we talked about really just the attitude of, the, of these teams. If you look at all these upsets that happen, it's really the Sunbelt won these games from the neck up. They came into away environments that were hostile with the mindset that they were going to win. They didn't care about the logos on the helmet. They didn't care about any of that stuff. They didn't care if they were on the road about the away crowd. They showed up and they felt like they were going to win the game when they showed up. And I think that just goes volumes as far as power five, group of five, what we can call these teams. It's really about the the culture of your team and the character of your players, it looks like.
0: I mean, think about this. You have the three big upsets, and we're going to get into that at length in a few moments. But you have App State who plays in front of nearly 100,000 fans down in College Station. You have Marshall, who plays at Notre Dame in front of just over 80,000 fans, beats them. And then on top of it, you top it all off, 88,000 fans at Nebraska to watch Georgia Southern come in and beat them. And we just had breaking news yesterday about Scott Frost getting fired after Georgia Southern came in and took him out. Gotta love it.
1: No, it's a, it's a crazy time for the Sun but Obviously, we can call Kyle Van Vantrese, I guess, the, the reason why Scott Frost is out of there because he played a great game, and those guys just had a great offensive attack that we'll talk about later. But, man, it's it's a great time to be in the Sun but like we talked about before. I'm ready to talk about these games and really dive into it because there's there's just so much to talk about after this weekend.
0: Well, let's get right into it. We're going to start today's episode off with a new segment I'm calling the Sun Belt Scoreboard, where we're going to tell you how each team fared over the weekend and once we've looked at the scores from around the conference, Caden and I are going to dig a little bit deeper into several games. And I can tell you, we're going to be talking a lot about Marshall and app state and Georgia Southern's getting a shout out in this podcast, as well as a couple of teams from that, what we're now dubbing the wild West. But before we get into those games a little bit deeper, I'm just going to run down the scoreboard and how each game went for the teams. We'll do it in alphabetical order, just to keep it fair. I think we'll start off with app state. They, they, Went to number 6 Texas A&M came out with a win 17 to 14 in that game. Their record now 1 and 1 after 2 weeks. Arkansas State went on the road to Columbus against number 3 Ohio State. They did cover the spread in that game but lost the game 45 to 12. They fall to 1 and 1. Coastal Carolina a big scare at home against FCS program Gardner Webb. They had a late interception to seal that victory but Coastal hangs on 31-27. They improved to 2 and 0 on the year. We mentioned Georgia Southern. They went into Lincoln. Nebraska is hostile of an environment, as you saw all weekend. And they won 45-42, coming from behind with just seconds remaining on the clock. And don't look now. Georgia Southern, a new-look offense, 2-0. Georgia State played a really good game at home the first time they hosted a Power 5 program in Atlanta. They lost to UNC, 35-28. Man, we've got to give props to UNC. They're 3-0. They've taken down two Sunbelt teams here in in the first three weeks of the year, big start for UNC, but Georgia State 0-2 now. James Madison, another dominant performance on offense, 63-7 at home over Norfolk State. They're 2-0. Louisiana, we're going to get into this game, an absolutely wild game. Caden, you and I, we're starting to you know, chisel out the, the tombstone for Louisiana in that first half, but they respond in a big way in the second half, win that game 49-21, and the raging Cajuns are 2-0. Marshall, they went on the road to South Bend, Indiana, took out number eight, Notre Dame, winning that game 26 21. Marshall now 2 0. Don't be surprised if they're inside the top 25 this week. Old Dominion went on the road to East Carolina. They couldn't keep up their strong performance from week one against Virginia Tech, a very good ECU team, but they would fall 39 21. They fall to 1 and 1 on the season. South Alabama, your pick to win the West continues to look really good, Caden. They Covered the spread. They were underdogs in that game. A dominant performance. South Alabama improves to two and zero. Southern Miss they looked really good in that first half against number fifteen Miami, but the wheels, you know, kind of fell off the train at the end. Miami just proved to be too much. I think the biggest takeaway from this game was Will Hall's wardrobe choices. Full dress shirt, (laughs) Caden. I texted you the other day and said, with the amount of sweat you could see his back. I feel like he needs to get a. Southern Miss tattoo on his back so that we can see that in future games. They fall 30 to 7. They're one of two teams, them Georgia State who are 0 and 2 to begin the year. Texas State a dominant performance over FIU and San Marcos. Uh they improved to 1 and 1 on the season. Troy struggled for a little while against Alabama A&M but ultimately pull away late. They went 38-7 38-17, 1 and 1 on the season and ULM took care of business at home 35-7. They're 1 and 1. Couple of superlatives about the weekend. There's 13 undefeated teams left in D1 FBS College Football. Six of them are in the Sun Belt currently. The Sun Belt teams finished 10-4 and four on Saturday. They became the first non-autonomy conference, the group of five, as we've called it, to beat multiple top 10 ranked opponents since September 20th of 2003. And finally, Georgia State and Southern Miss, we mentioned them, the only teams remaining in the Sun Belt who've yet to pick up a victory this season. Well, that's kind of a, a quick rundown. 14 great games, 10 and 4. Caden, I think that's a great start to the week.
1: Now, you mentioned just pure, pure dominance from the Sunbelt, really, right now. I think the cross conference play in the beginning of the season is always excited to see some of those matchups, and you really don't know what to expect in a lot of them. But the Sunbelt, I feel like, over exceeded their expectations. They outkicked their coverage in these first two weeks, and it just makes the hype even more built for when conference play starts.
0: Well, let's jump right in. We promised you after going through all those games that we would dive a little bit deeper into each game. And, you know, really how we've broken out this next section of the podcast was we wanted to talk about, Caden, what you and I have dubbed the the Big East, you know, where there's so many talented teams. We saw the two big upsets out of yesterday, and then we'll finish off today's episode talking about what we're dubbing the Wild West purely because it's wide open at this point, South Alabama and Louisiana, both looking good. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. but. I wanted to get started today with probably what I'm considering the best game of the weekend, and that is Marshall's victory at number eight Notre Dame. They win that game 26 to 21. Charles Huff guides that team to the promised land. They, you know, spike the ball really on the touchdown. Jesus up at Notre Dame, and now Marshall is a sneaky pick to slide into that top 25. They did all of that in front of about 77,000 fans up in South Bend.
1: Now, if you watch this game, it was just an absolute grind. If you look, there was no really big offensive plays. There was no deep shots, no, no really big explosive runs. It was just a grind. It was about the defense and the run game. Every touchdown that was scored was in the red zone. It was just about moving the football and sustaining those drives. And I think you look at the end of the game, Marshall just came up big. Stephon, Stephen Gilmore, sorry, confusing him with his brother, huge pick six to end the game. They were up 19 to 15 already, four and a half left. They get a pick six. You could just tell that it was deflated. There was a lot of Cobras in Notre Dame putting their hands on their head, feeling like it was out. The quarterback Buckner, he looked rattled, and then he went out on the next drive and threw another interception. And that really just sealed the deal for them. So I think Marshall really established himself in this game as another premier defense we're seeing in this conference. Each team went like four for 13 on third down, had about 350 total yards. It was really just a wash, but they took care of the ball. They didn't turn it over, and they first Notre Dame to make turnovers, and that was, that was what cost the game.
0: I think what's interesting here is this was a matchup between two very storied programs and for two different reasons. I look at these two programs and they're probably two of the only programs in college football that have movies made after them. And again, very different reasons. You think of the movie Rudy. I've watched that movie as a kid and that's Notre Dame. That's what they're known for. And then you look at Marshall and obviously they're remembered for the plane crash that took place 52 years ago. And really that set the tone for what Marshall would become as a program. If you, you know, you've probably heard the story, but the plane crashes on the way home, the entire football team passes away. They were able to get legislation passed that allowed freshmen to play. And that was a lot that allowed them to play that season despite losing their entire team. So 52 years later, I don't know if anyone would have predicted that Marshall would take down number eight Notre Dame at home. It's the first time that a Sunbelt school has ever played Notre Dame, and now the Sunbelt is 1-0 against one of the most storied programs in college football. So I think that's kind of those undertones in that game that makes college football so much fun. One thing I wanted to get into before we talk about that running back play in this game was, you know, we talked about their quarterback, Henry Columbia, in week one. He only misses two passes, and we thought, okay, that's Norfolk State. I don't know what he's going to do for an encore. He has another incredible game, and now he's 40 of 47 on the season, 350 yards, two touchdowns, and it was really his play at the end where he guided an 11-play, 94-yard drive that ultimately would give Marshall the lead with 5.16 remaining. You have to be impressed with how he's playing here early this year.
1: No, 100%, and great touching on the historical part of this, too. It was obviously great to just see those two uniforms, those helmets, those brands go up against each other. It was definitely exciting to see, but no, Columbia did what he had to do, obviously, He didn't have the most flashy performance, but he was efficient. A lot of people try to downplay or, or make it sound like a derogatory thing when you call a quarterback a game manager, but he truly managed the game. He took care of the football, converted on third downs when they needed to, drove down the field when they needed to, and he really relied on his running game. He relied on his defense to do their job, and he helped up his end of the bargain. So you can play that brand of football when you don't have to do too much for your team. So Marshall played great complimentary football throughout this game. And yeah, we can get into that ground game as, as soon as possible. I mean, 219 yards on the ground. Kal- Kalian Layborn, sorry sorry if I messed up your first name, had a great game. 31 carries. I'm pretty sure the most carries out of any running back in the conference this week. They put a lot on his plate, and he made the most of them all. 163 yards and a touchdown. He had 100 yards the week before, and we talk about how much running back talent is in the Sun Belt. So it's it's a good game for him. They still don't have Rasheen Ali, which is one of the craziest parts about this game, too. And it was just a great balanced attack and a great gritty win for them.
0: Yeah, I think my biggest point in terms of the running backs, the, the question that I had posed here is who needs Rasheen Ali at this point? Marshall looks just fine without Ali, and that's scary for the rest of the country. It, we're expected Ali to come back at some point this year. It still hasn't been announced when that would be, but he led the nation last year with 23 touchdowns. So you add him to what's already been a really good running back room, and this Marshall team might just be unbeatable. Caden, you called it earlier this year. You said, hey, there's a matchup coming up. A little bit later in the season where Marshall and App State are going to play each other. And you thought at that time that it would determine the East. And I think after two weeks, that prediction's looking really good.
1: Yeah, we can dive more into comparing which teams in the East had like more impressive wins this week and stuff like that. But if you look at Marshall, man, going forward, they have Bowling Green after this. Then they have Troy. Then they have a Garner Web team. And then they get into that conference schedule. So if they're undefeated going into that conference schedule, maybe ranked and rolling, it's hard to argue that they don't have the most momentum going into the league, especially with a lot of teams, like App State's really the only team that's really been playing Marshall kind of consistently as of late. These other teams are just learning about Marshall now. So they're really catching teams off guard, I think, in the East and across the conference. There's obviously a lot of similarities from some of these other games, too, that we can tap into. I mean, Nate Noel well wasn't playing in the App State game. They did it without him. Rasheed Ali, they did it without him. I think a lot of these Sunbelt teams are throwing, showing, showing they kind of have some of that similar DMA, DNA as far as depth at the running back position tough up front, tough on defense. So it's the the beasts in the East, like we're saying, Man, there's a ton of teams out there that can play and Marshall may be playing the best of them all.
0: Last thing I had on Marshall and it was their suffocating defense and through two weeks, they're giving up 12 points per game. And in this game against Notre Dame, four INTs and a forced fumble. They're holding opponents And Caden. I texted you this earlier today. They're holding opponents to just five of 25 on third down this year. If you're not good at math, that's just 20%. They held Notre Dame to 31%. Here's what was great, too. Andrew, Sam, Eli, Neil, they combined for 20 tackles in this game. And we mentioned Stephen Gilmore, that game-sealing pick six with 435 to go. The defense is looking really good for Marshall.
1: They're strong, and I'll tell you what, they're running to the ball. Their secondary is obviously clamping things up. They're forcing turnovers, which is, is lovely. But if you just watch them in their linebacking group and their guys up front running to the ball, endless pursuit of the ball, if you're a team that's a run first identity like Notre Dame, that's that's a tough pill to swallow if you have a team who's really relentless up front with you. And even if they can't match you necessarily in size, they're matching you as far as intensity goes. So Marshall, if they play every team this year, like they just played Notre Dame, it's really hard to argue against them in that defense.
0: Well, it was really tough to choose kind of 1A and 1B this weekend of which was the best game. I'm going with Marshall Notre Dame, but the next game up that we want to talk about App State, they go Two college station in front of nearly 100,000 fans. They take down the number sixth ranked Aggies. They win that game 17 to 14. And now they're also going to probably be a top 25 team. And, you know, we mentioned early on in this podcast, the breaking news, college game day, announcing that they're coming to Boone on Saturday. Caden, I know you and I have already booked our hotel rooms. We're going to Boone too.
1: A hundred percent. I've been, I've been to many a game day in Boone, many all played in them, obviously, except for my, official visit back in the day, but I I never thought I would see a day that we got college game day. And I know how special and football football means to that town. So getting that, I think nobody in that town is taking it lightly. Have to see it for myself. Obviously it's obviously not the biggest town. So we've been, a lot of us have been talking about where they're going to set things up and where they're going to do stuff, but obviously going to be a super exciting time in Boone, North Carolina, this upcoming week, and I think they earned it with this win, another tough gritty game up front where they just simply outplayed the team in front of them up front. And it really went to show. I think there's a ton to talk about in this game. I'll let you get into it first because I'm just I'm still so excited about College Game Day, thinking about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, we didn't do a Biggest Loser segment in this episode. But if there was a big loser, that was clearly the national media. Because you know where Game Day wanted to be next weekend? They wanted to be at Miami, Texas A&M. And that got destroyed. With the strong play of App State, suddenly now they're going to a Sunbelt school. It'll be just the third Sunbelt school that College Game Day has gone to. They went to JMU when they were still in FCS program. And then you remember a couple years back, we had uh, Mullets versus Mormons at Coastal Carolina and College Game Day showed up. So this will be the third time that College Game Day visits a Sunbelt school. You know, really, I think we've got to start here with the stifling defense and talk about a rebound performance for defensive coordinator Dale Jones and this defense that was run all over the field last week by Drake May in North Carolina. They held Texas A&M to just 186 yards in this game, and I thought this stat was particularly interesting. Texas A&M had just two plays inside App State territory in the game's first 52 minutes. That's incredible when you think about it, and it was really just a far cry from the 567 yards that UNC Put on them a week ago, UNC had 315 yards passing. Meanwhile, they held Texas A&M. That's supposed to be a really good offensive football team to just 134 yards through the year.
1: Talk about night and day from the week before. I mean, if you you, it's the tale of two games. I mean, last week I told you that the App State defense is really going to have to take a long look in the mirror and figure out how they're going to bounce back from that poor performance the week before on the defensive side, and they did just that. Holding them to less than 100 receiving and 100 rushing is insane. They had 97 receiving yards, 89 rushing. The pass rush was cooking, man. Jalen, my boy Nick Hampton wasn't producing, but he has a backup behind him in Jalen McLeod who's another physical specimen rushing the ball. He had one play, I think it's going kind of viral on Twitter right now, forced two fumbles in one play, knocks the ball out of Haynes King's hands, gets picked back up, he knocks it out again, App State goes, goes on top of it. So because that pass rush was so effective and because they couldn't run the ball, I think it showed how how good this defense can truly be if that pass rush is getting there. And it's another co- mobile quarterback. You saw Haynes King get out of the pocket a little bit in extend plays, but it wasn't nearly as bad as what Drake May did to them last week, that's for sure.
0: Caden, you remember on last week's podcast when we talked about that App State game, we obviously talked a lot about the offense, but I think we both said, you know, we're not overly concerned about the defense. We felt like they would figure it out, and they clearly did in this game. The next thing I wanted to mention, though, was really just the strength of this running back room, and it was on full display against Texas A&M. You mentioned a few moments ago Nate Noel misses that game with an injury. Certainly have to hope that he's back for Troy this coming weekend, but Cameron Peoples, Amani Marshall, Deidre Carrington, Wow, they showed out in a big way against Texas A&M.
1: No, App State, you did mention that we're not worried about that defense, but I will say I am worried about some of those injuries. They they already lost Brennan Harrington. They lost Trey Cobb in this game. They have Nate Noel out. So they're, they're going to need some of those guys as long as the year goes out. Obviously, you, it's good to get those early reps in and get those injuries out the way, get those guys back, get some of your backups, some reps, which is huge because we saw a lot of depth on both sides playing, but... Ran the ball super effectively. I, I think it's not crazy to say that this Abstate offensive line might be the best looking in the country. Right? I mean, if you look at their two first games and the competition that they played and the way they tra- projected protected Chase and the way those running backs were able to work and make those cuts and had huge wide open holes, that group up front, the Bulls, man, they're nasty and they're, they're protective of their people. They don't want their guys getting hit. And it's shown with that running back performance we saw yesterday and the performance of Chase Bryce.
0: Hey, we talked with Bryce on Wednesday, and he mentioned that prior to this season, they decided to make the shift from going to Mexican and Italian. That shift has paid off in a big way, and the Bulls are rolling through Boone right now. I love the postgame comments from Cooper Hodges, too. He talked about this game, and Hodges said, I'm sick and tired of hearing about Michigan. He says, I want our legacy to be Sunbelt champions, and I want our legacy to be beating Texas A&M. Well, this group, the Bulls, have now left a legacy in Boone with this big victory.
1: No, and it looked like there was a a herd of bulls on King Street. If you saw after the game, I mean, King Street was flooded. I think this this moment is very clearly the modern version of Michigan. I don't think anyone's going to forget that, Coop. I'm sorry. I mean, he might be the first person ever to say that he doesn't want to be. He wants to get away from that Michigan game because that's obviously what App's been identified with. But this this win is up there for them. I think you saw how the city reacted. You saw the nation reacted, and I think Cooper definitely, (laughs) Cooper and those boys definitely got their point across as far as getting national attention for this big win.
0: Caden, here's a quick question as an App State alum. Was this victory for App State bigger than the victory over Michigan 15 years ago?
1: So I actually, this, this kind of goes into, I'm a big movie guy, and I have a big hot take that if, the, if there's a movie and there's a sequel, and the only reason that the second one is better than the first one, or the first one's better than the second one, sorry, is because it's the first one. Then maybe it's the second one, but no, I still have to give it to the Michigan one. It was the first one, so it definitely laid the foundation for this game. But aside from that, the block field goal is just way more of an iconic moment, I think, if you look at that win. And Michigan's hype at the time was a little bit higher than Texas a and at the time. It's not taken away from this win at all from those boys, but that Michigan one definitely laid the foundation and then the fashion they won it on on that block field goal. Maybe if we would have blocked the field goal instead of the AM kicker, just, I don't know what he did, shanking it completely off of his foot. Maybe I can put it in that conversation. If someone would have one hand scooped it up like my boy Lynch and, and got some yardage, but now nah, I'm still going to have to give the Michigan nod for that one. Sorry guys.
0: Well, App State takes down number six, Texas AM. and And as we mentioned, Caden and I are going to be in Boone, This coming weekend so if you're listening to the pod and you'd like us to stop by your tailgate i've heard that tailgating up in boone is outstanding so give us a shout out on twitter we'll stop by we'd love to meet you uh the app state fans and just kind of enjoy what will be a historic game on saturday let's move on to the third power five win of the weekend and that's georgia southern at nebraska they win 45 42 a signature win for clay helton in his early tenure it's the second power five win in Georgia Southern history. If you remember back to 2013, they took down the University of Florida 26 to 20 in the swamp. Here's a crazy stat in this game, Caden. You know, I love these great nuggets. Nebraska was 214 and 0 entering play at home when scoring 35 plus points. They're now 214 and 1.
1: Great stat. And I think this, this is like a Pac-12 after dark game. I mean, this was a crazy shootout. If you would have told me before this week that, Hey, Marshall was going to get an upset. App state was going to get an upset in Georgia Southern. And you showed me all of the scores. I'd have no reason to, I would have not picked Georgia Southern to be the team that was in the shootout. I would have looked at the app state performance from the week before and said, okay, app state got another shootout win, but look at Georgia state or Georgia Southern here. I'm sorry. What a game from them. 45 points. 642 total yards and the really the most impressive part of it to me is they still have some of that personnel from when they were running that triple option they're in a weird phase right now obviously went three and nine last year still trying to kind of recruit some of those guys that are more fit but you have guys that have been blocking for running backs more than catching balls for the past year or two and now they're out here balling out making back shoulder catches and big plays and what a game for them and what a what a moment really for Georgia Southern as a program.
0: Yeah, and I want to take kind of a moment here because I think there was a big shift that took place during the COVID year, and I'm calling them the dynamic duo, and that's athletic director Jared Banco and deputy athletic director Chris Davis. They have come in, and if you've been around that Georgia Southern program at all, you hear about what they're doing. I mean, you just think about the last year that it's been for Georgia Southern. They host an NCAA regional in baseball, and I think where it gets really impressive is those two guys, they've brought an SEC type mindset to Statesboro. Jared Banco, the former deputy AD at Mississippi State, and then Chris Davis, the former VP of Auburn Sports Properties, they've come in and changed the thought process behind Georgia Southern, and they're seeing a lot of investment. They've raised over $10.6 million in the last year, and now there's over $70 million in new projects, including a brand-new indoor practice facility going up as we speak. They made the big investment in Clay Helton, that decision to hire Jared Banco and Chris Davis at Georgia Southern is looking really good at the moment.
1: No, I mean, if you look at Georgia Southern as a program, anyone who's been down to a game at Statesboro, you know how passionate and strong that fan base is. I mean, even my my own mother, when she first went to the Georgia Southern App State game, after the game, she was like, I'm not coming back to one of these. Like these fans are just too ruthless. It's straight up not a good time as a visitor. If you're a, a football fan who lives off of it and loves it, I love getting off that bus in Southern and hearing all the fans give me that energy. But no, if you, hold on to a couple moments and Southern has a couple more big wins like this. And they're clearly trying to change that culture and shift some things in the program. They have the infrastructure to do it. They have the fan base of people who cares about it. They're in Georgia. So, I mean, you can recruit those guys who don't make it to UGA don't make it to Georgia tech, get some of those guys down to stay in the state. There's going to be some real big things going on for sure. And it's obviously going to be tough to put Georgia Southern up in that conversation for winning the East this year. But if you look moving forward and things that got going on, it's definitely an exciting time in Statesboro.
0: Caden, we need to do this sometime, but we need to rank the most rabid Twitter fan bases in the Sun Belt. And I will tell you from my experience, the Georgia Southern Twitter fan base is right up there in the conversation. They're rabid. They love their football. A lot of exciting things to go. And, you know, the next thing I want to talk about with this game, and I had it simply summed up, is this. They've found their man. And by their man, I want to talk about the play of quarterback Kyle Treese threw for 409 yards in this game he became just the first eagle to post back-to-back 300-yard passing performances and it was his eight-yard touchdown run with 36 seconds left in regulation that sealed the deal Trees transfers in comes into a brand new program here and he has excelled to begin the year
1: Nah, this was his hold my beer moment I mean he's like listen y'all have Y'all been watching triple option quarterbacks play for the last couple of years. Some good ones. Obviously, Shy Wirtz was running the show over there, but he was like, hold my beer. Let me show you how I'm going to throw the rock around the yard. This, the, the, the options are dead. We're off of that now. Let's show you what I can really do. And I think he had two interceptions in that game. Obviously, it's hard not to throw a couple interceptions. There's not, many, there's not many quarterbacks in the country who are not throwing at least an interception or two when you throw the ball 56 times in a game. One of them was just an egregious one. He threw it up a 50-50 ball and that got taken. But another one was a hard hit. So he played a great game, completed some back shoulder balls to his guys. Third down, came up big in that last drive like you were mentioning, converted some fourth downs. He was the man in this game, and he really, truly went toe-to-toe with Casey Thompson, who's one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. And, and showed him what was up. And then if you even look at the running game, Gerald Green made the absolute most of his carries, only touched the ball 10 times, but had 132 yards and two touchdowns. So it looks like there's a little bit of shift with that offense. The The run game used to just be run game, run game, run game. And then they would sneak a little pass in there by you. And it looks like it's a little bit more of the opposite. They use that pass game to open up that run game. And it was it's exciting times, like I said, for Georgia Southern, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Well, I don't want to make you have to say too much about Kyle Van Treese later, because... I'm giving a little sneak preview you might want to stick around to later in this episode when Caden does his Smith's Picks of the Week segment. But he was outstanding, and I think the biggest thing, and you kind of just touched on it there, was offensive football has come back to Statesboro. Gone is the old triple option that they ran for years. 1,217 yards of total offense in this game against Nebraska. It broke a program record of 1,216 yards that was set all the way back in 1999 against Northern Arizona, dominance on the offensive side of the football.
1: hundred percent, man. I think if you're any other team in the conference and you're watching this one, you're definitely a little scared. You're thinking, wait, wait, wait. This, the triple option team from from a year or two ago, this is what we have to deal with now. And we talked about that fan base before. If you go down to Statesboro in an environment where those fans show up, especially at night, loud, rabid, going crazy. They were going crazy when they were running a triple option game. When they were, they were cheering for an offense that was only throwing the ball a couple times a game. So, you get in a shootout, and those fans are the energy is only going to pick up and pick up. It's looking like there's not very many places on the road in the East that you want to play. And if Georgia Southern keeps this offensive production up, you're definitely not going to want to go to Statesboro and have to play this team, especially on the offensive side of the ball.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we'll kind of just cap off this segment here because that's really what we've got in terms of talking about, you know, the Big East as we're going to start calling it here. But you have four teams in that East now that are undefeated going into week three Coastal Carolina, 2 and 0. Georgia Southern 2-0, and James Madison, and I'm missing one, Marshall 2-0. and So four out of the seven teams on that Eastern Division undefeated through two weeks. Caden, I said this to you over text yesterday. They're starting to put themselves in the conversation that this might be the best or second best division in college football.
1: And you have to think App State arguably has the best loss in the nation right now. Like if you, they they, they went up toe to toe against what's clearly one of the most explosive offenses right now and took them to the wire. So even them not being undefeated, I think everyone in that conference is looking at App State like, yeah, a little bit of side, I don't want to do that, but. No, we talked about it last night, man. I think there's a difference between having the most competitive division and the best division. I always joke about this. I'm a Giants fan. So obviously the NFC East is a very weak division. People would say that's the worst division in the NFL, but I would counter and say it's the most competitive division. It might be the worst, but I think all of those teams historically have been the closest to each other. Well, if you look at the Sunbelt East, it's a little bit of both. Every team is close to each other as far as what they can do, but they're all very, very good. It's hard to it's hard to bet against it. And I think if you look at the West, it's the, you have the same problem, but different. You don't know who's going to win the East because there's so many good teams over there and you don't know who's going to win the West because there's no clear front runner. So it's definitely a tale of two different conferences I think the Sunbelt East. Nobody group of five power five. Anybody is trying to play anybody from the East right now. And I think it's definitely proven as one of the stronger conferences and divisions of the entire nation.
0: Well, before we get to talking about the Wild West, just one more quick thought on the East. Caden, does it concern you at all with all of the talent in the East that at some point they could cannibalize each other very easily?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last night on the phone. I think if you look at that East, it's going to be tough. to Some some teams not going to make a bowl game just simply because they have to play such a tough schedule and they probably deserve to be in a bowl game. And then you look at the West, it's going to be the opposite. If you get a good non-conference schedule, you win a couple games don't have to play some of the beasts in the east maybe catch it, catch southern lack and then you're in a bowl game and you're in that conversation so i think it's definitely going to be interesting to watch in the next couple of years because if you look at the east division they're loaded with talent they have georgia right there so they're getting a lot of talent from the state of georgia and then you look at the west division You only really have Louisiana, Texas. It's going to really come down to recruiting in the next couple of years because right now, as it is, it's very clear that there's a gap between the East and the West. We talked about the regional aspect of this conference and that we like it so much. But if it does get too lopsided, we're going to be very curious to see if the Sun Belt does anything to intervene or change that and make it more fair on both sides.
0: Well, I think the biggest point that I took over what you just said was talking. We know you love talking about. High school football and prospects out of the state of Georgia. You tell me all the time that's where the best prospects come from.
1: Look, man, the numbers don't lie. Just just look it up. Obviously, obviously, the great state of Florida. Obviously, don't get me wrong. The 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 there's many 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 talented people in Florida that are populating the Sun Belt and definitely definitely very dominant. I'm I'm biased to Georgia, but it's really going to come down recruiting if you look at this conference. If if the Sun Belt starts cementing itself as that premier group of five conference, then players are going to come. You're already seeing it with the transfers. There's so many great transfers in the conference already. But if you start getting some of these kids out of high school and developing them, you're going to start to see the conference get won and lost before the season even starts, in my opinion.
0: Hey, it was an outstanding weekend for what we're now calling the Big East. And let's kind of transition a little bit to talking about the Wild West and... Caden, it almost got really interesting last night. Louisiana, who we'll get to in just a second. They had to come from behind against Eastern Michigan. They end up winning that game, but we'll talk about it more. But Caden, here's my biggest thing. Your pick of South Alabama is looking better and better as the weeks go by. South Alabama, they go on the road a little bit of action. late or yesterday at 1 p.m. They stormed out to a 31-7 lead early on. They go on to win that game 38-24. And I wanted to touch on that strong start. South Alabama, they go in as a five-point underdog in that game. That's what Vegas said in terms of the line. South Alabama said, we're not having any of that. They storm out 31-7 lead after you know five, with 547 to go in the second half. Here's what was incredible. Carter Bradley throws for 249 yards in the first half. He was just 11 yards short of his entire total against Nichols State. In week one, he finishes with 354 yards in that game, which was the fourth most in South Alabama history. Carter Bradley is looking really good early this year.
1: No, the, the prophecy is being fulfilled, man. The crystal ball that I was touching before the season that told me South Alabama was going to be the one in the West is, is looking good so far in the first two weeks. And obviously, I don't want to overreact before conference play. But look at them, man. They're they're performing well on both sides of the ball. You look at this defense. They held, they held them boys to 81 yards. And you touched on it, Carter Bradley, experienced guy into the season. I was a little bit more up on him because he beat out Desmond Trotter, who was in the system so long. And he's played big time ball at Toledo that I think would translate to the Sembo level of play. And I, he's doing just that. He played in a close game back in his Toledo days against Notre Dame. So these games where he's on the road against central Michigan, all away, not favored. He's like, cool. Like watch this, like watch what I'm going to do. I have one of the best receivers in the conference in Jalen Wayne. I'm going to throw it to him 10 times. He's going to get 10 grabs, hundred yards and a touchdown. And then I'm gonna just gonna ball I'm gonna throw one interception. It's, it is what it is, but we're gonna get up early and we're gonna get we're gonna get going on offense. And as, as long as our defenses take care of stuff, we're just gonna be a dangerous team overall. So I think South Alabama is definitely handling business, and I can't wait to watch them going into this ULS, UCLA matchup next week, honestly.
0: Yeah, could that be one of those games that perhaps becomes an upset? That's gonna be, I think, one of the games that I will say that we're probably gonna be previewing on Friday. That one could be really interesting. You touched briefly on Jalen Wayne. And, you know, obviously he comes in, he becomes kind of wide receiver one at South Alabama after Tolbert, who's going to start on Sunday, you know, or started yesterday uh, in the NFL. And he's really emerged here early on in the year. You look at Chris Thornton up at James Madison, Ollie Jennings at Old Dominion and Jalen Wayne. They're starting to kind of form a upper echelon tier of wide receivers in this league. Wayne goes 10 more catches, 97 yards. He now has 107 career catches, and he's tied for seventh in the Sun Belt in terms of total yards early this season. Three touchdowns already tied for second in that category, trailing only Thornton up at uh, James Madison, who already has five touchdowns this season, which is a crazy stat through two games.
1: No, I think another reason why I really leaned into South Alabama going to this season because I think they really had the blueprint to be successful last year. They just came a little bit short. Jake Bentley and Jalen Tolbert had a great connection last year, and I knew they'd have a lot of offensive continuity at the quarterback position with Carter Bradley and the wide receiver position with Jalen Wayne, and they're actually re- they're really doing it on the defensive side of the ball. That head coach has already nailed down that he wants defense to be a priority, and it looks like on every level of the game, if you look up front, run stopping and pass rushing, they're doing it linebackers running to the football playing very well in coverage too and their defensive backs being dominant so i think if you're if you're a south alabama fan right now you're like, liking what you're seeing and i think if you look at the vibe of that locker room right now they're looking at this weekend that just happened they're seeing okay a lot of teams in the sunbelt getting some upsets against some big teams now it's our time going into UL- ucla the next week they're probably thinking okay it's it's very clear that these sunbelt teams can do this we think we're that caliber let's let's go out and l- lay it out on the line and give ucla a really good shot getting upset as well this weekend. So I think it's going to be an exciting weekend of ball. And I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to make you talk about my boys in the pregame show next week. I'm just letting you know that we're going to talk about this game. And it's almost like we we should have talked more about some of these power five matchups for the Sunbelt, because it looks like this year they're coming to play. So we got it. We got to talk about it this week. We got to be ahead of the curve this time.
0: Yeah. Cade, let's just go ahead and admit to the viewers that we really swung and missed on our preview episode on Friday. We didn't even touch on Texas A&M App State. We didn't touch on Marshall, Notre Dame, Georgia Southern. So we really swung and missed on that, and you know we're going to have to be better. I think you can clearly see the teams in the Sun Belt stepping up their game. Caden, I think you and I really need to step up our game in terms of the matchups that we <laughs> preview on Friday. One last thing here for South Alabama: we mentioned Kane Womack; he finally kind of has his pieces on defense, and I think the most impressive thing in this game was how they stopped the run, and part of that was Central Michigan came in with last year's. NCAA rushing leader in Lou Nichols. He ran for 1,848 yards a season ago. South Alabama held him to just 20 yards on 15 rushing attempts.
1: Now, I think a lot of the, the lines and the Vegas odds for this game were skewed by last week's performance. I mean, you looked at that team. They were getting destroyed by Oklahoma State, and then Central Michigan is allowed to play a brand of ball where they can just throw the ball around the yard and try to play comeback football. They're in the same boat this week. So, South Alabama got up on them early obviously it was 31 to 10 going into the fourth quarter. And then they got some of those stats padded at the end, trying to score and score and get something going. But God, it's, it's tough to, it's tough to look at the South Alabama team and not say they're the best looking team in the West.
0: Meanwhile, you know, as we transition and talk about Louisiana, a team that has kind of run the West over the last couple of years, they've looked shaky through two games. They, you know, have that kind of sloppy game in a poor playing environment in that first game of the year against Southeastern Louisiana. And, Caden, you and I were texting at halftime of this Louisiana-Eastern Michigan game. And like I said early on in this podcast, we were already starting to you know, put the, the words on their tombstone here and say that maybe Louisiana just wasn't going to have it this year. Well, Coach D must have said something at halftime because this game flipped on its head in a hurry. Louisiana goes on to win 49-21. They improved the nation's longest winning streak now to 14 games and they have now tied a program-long 11-game home-winning streak. And the question I have is, what the heck happened at halftime? Eastern Michigan, they're leading 21-14 to with seven minutes to go in the third corner. Louisiana scored 49 points in the second half of this game, and it was twenty nine 21-14, and they scored 35 unanswered points to end the game. They had just 73 total yards of offense in the first half. It was nearly 400 in the second half.
1: No, whatever whatever speech was given in that little third to fourth quarter time period, I'm going to need a full transcript of that because I know I can do anything possible after reading that or hearing that because they they, took, they look like a different team. I think obviously we talked about before they're going to have to look in the mirror after last week find out who they are, find out if they really still have that identity as conference champions. And I I, I think they didn't really look in that mirror and have that conversation clearly until the end of this game going into that fourth quarter. They're down 7-0. They get a weird rain delay. And let me, I can tell my rain delay story. We had a rain delay against Coastal Carolina a long, time. It's the, a long time ago. It's the absolute worst thing ever. You're just sitting in your pads waiting. So they were down 7-0 to start. Then they're down 14-0 at half. So it looked like the writing was on the wall for them. Like you said, that tombstone was set up but it looks like they they got their they got their stuff together whatever was said to them worked they got rolling and I think I want to know more about this quarterback situation they're looking at right now I think we talked about Chandler Fields going to the season yeah we we were talking about Chandler Fields going to the season obviously I had a little a little bit less faith in him just because I didn't necessarily think he was a bad player I just think he was a little bit unproven and he had some big shoes to fill with Levi Lewis but then you see Ben Woodridge going to the last two drives of the game and do some serious stuff for them
0: yeah, it's lost in, I think, the amount of points that got scored in the, ha- in the second half that Wooldridge and Fields split time in that second half. Fields finishes with three touchdown passes, Woldridge with two. But to me, and what I've got here is there's a quarterback battle brewing down in Lafayette, and I think that's going to be something really interesting to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, look, they have the defensive side figured out. Their defense still looks good. They're doing their thing. We were talking about the the performance of South Alabama's run-stopping abilities. They (laughs) held—ULL held Eastern Michigan to 43 rushing yards. Like, that's that's unheard of. So their defensive side is good. It's obviously some strange times, I think, over there on the offensive side of the ball. Woodridge was really effective, I will say, and really efficient. He went 12 for 13, only had one incompletion and two touchdowns on his two drives. So I think— An in-season quarterback battle is not the best thing for you, that's for sure. I mean, we're seeing that going on right now with Michigan, with Ole Miss. It's a a tough time right now to be doing that in the season, especially when you're getting into conference play. So ULL does have some stuff figured out. I think they still have the defensive side figured out. Their special teams are still looking good. But on offense, at that quarterback position, which is the most important position, and when you're looking at all the other teams across this conference, a lot of teams have a good run game and a lot of teams have a good defense. That quarterback position is going to be what elevates teams. And I don't, I can't imagine a conference championship where there's not two of the best quarterbacks playing in the conference in it. So if UL wants to be back in that conversation, they're definitely going to have to figure out that quarterback position going forward.
0: Figure it out and figure it out very quickly because, Caden, as you told us in a couple episodes ago, there's a big matchup looming in week five. Louisiana, after this game, they're going to go to Rice and then to ULM. So you have to imagine You know, they're at least going to pick up one more win, maybe two, maybe they're four and oh, but October 1st, it's looming South Alabama versus Louisiana. And that will probably be one of the most important early season games because it's that game that's looking very likely to probably determine the West in week five.
1: A hundred percent. And that week, it's like we talked about with the the little App State Marshall matchup that we have on the east going forward. But they obviously they also have JMU and Coastal and a lot of other teams who could definitely win the conference. But if you look at this, this other side of the conference it's more of a two horse race. And I think whoever wins that game, I'm not saying they're going to necessarily win the conference, because like we talked about, it's the wild, wild west and it is a sunbelt. So we see teams get upset every week left and right. But whoever wins that game is going to be the front runner and is going to have that target on their back as far as the West goes. And they're going to get the best shot from every single team on the West moving forward, trying to knock them off.
0: I think it's going to be interesting, too. The team that might determine the champion in the West is actually a team in the East, and that's Georgia Southern. Those two teams, South Alabama, is going to go to Georgia Southern on November 5th, and then Louisiana is actually going to host Georgia Southern on November 10th. So the Wild West, it's wide open. I think it's anybody's game. Don't even be surprised too if Troy tries to sneak their way in. Southern Miss hasn't looked bad. So the West is wide open and I am here for it. We're going to have two great divisions, two kind of different storylines I think going on. But the last thing I wanted to touch on with Louisiana and Eastern Michigan, you mentioned it a few moments ago, the defense stepping up in a huge way in that second half. Caden, this is a stat that you're going to love. They forced five turnovers in the second half, three INTs, two fumbles. That's good defensive football for Louisiana and that helped jolt that offense to victory
1: no they definitely still have that defensive DNA for every doubt that we had about the quarterback position going into this season and what that offense was going to look like the defense is answering all the questions and checking all the boxes they had before so obviously they're going to see some better competition moving forward and they definitely have to clean up penalties on both sides of the ball they had 12 penalties in this game for 115 yards so they still have some stuff to get better there's still some question marks from ULL but I think right now they have Enough of the box ch- boxes checked in the right positions, especially looking at the defensive side, to still be a, a team that's going to make noise in this conference and compete for, to be in that championship game. So the wild, wild west man in the Big East. I'm excited to see it. it's going to it's it's the most exciting conference right now. If we're being honest, as far as just races and who we're going to see be in that championship game, I think
0: an outstanding weekend in the Sun Belt. again. The teams go ten and four and. Probably when the polls come out on Monday, the Sunbelt will have two teams inside the top 25, App State and Marshall, both expected to jump into the top 25. I think that's going to be something to pay attention to as we move into the rest of the week. But it's time to move on to, I think, my most anticipated segment every week. Caden Smith is set to make his Smith's picks of the week for offensive and defensive player in the conference. Caden, go ahead.
1: It was obviously a tough week, man. You look at this weekend of ball and it was a great week. I mean, we had some great performances and upset wins. We had some players obviously play very dominant against some worse teams. So it was obviously a tough, tough week to look at it. But for my offensive player of the week, man, I have to go with Kyle Vantrese, the Georgia Southern quarterback, 37 for 56, 409 yards. A touchdown and a go-ahead touchdown to win the game. Obviously had two interceptions, but I'm willing to ignore those. Like I talked about before, he threw up that one deep ball, got picked off, got hit on another play, and it got picked off. Wasn't necessarily his fault. But if you watch this game, man, his name was written all over it. That last drive, if you just want to watch some good football, watch his last drive, the throws he made, the back shoulder throws, the fourth down conversions, then using his legs to punch in and win the game. A great stat for this too. If you look at now the national passing leaders in the country, he's number five. And there's only one quarterback ahead of him that played in two games. He's The Georgia Southern's only played in two games, and he still has the stats with some of the quarterbacks that played in week zero. Those are the only guys ahead of him except for one guy. Huge performance for him. He threw for the third most yards in the nation this week out of all of college football. So got to give my offensive player to him. He balled out, and he really won that game for that team. If we look at the defensive side of the ball, Got to go with um, Coastal Carolina, sorry, Coastal Carolina corner Lance Boykin. He ended the game with five tackles, one pass breakup, and two back-to-back game-sealing interceptions. Huge play out of him. If you look at the last couple drives of the game, you get Garner Webb scores a touchdown. They're down four points. Then the next play, next drive, Coastal Carolina goes, scores a touchdown. Now they're up five points. Then Garner Webb gets their shot to answer. He gets an interception then coastal gets the ball back 6 and out they punt the ball and then right when C- Garner Webb's trying to do it again he gets another interception to seal the game out so that's really DB Hall of Fame stuff to me if you're if you're a defensive back winning football games for your team you're going to have a you're going to get the edge from me but a great performance from him and those are my picks of the week
0: well, I think it's also important, and we do this quite regularly on this podcast. But two two interceptions in one game, Caden, that was more than you had in your entire last season. So, just again, we want to keep bringing that up. But you know, I think <laughs> one point here that you know I think back to was a quote from Billy Napier a year ago when you talk about Kyle Van Treese and those interceptions. Scared money don't make money. And Billy Napier, I mean, I think he called it. That's what you saw from Kyle Van Treese. He knew what he had to do in that game, and. He ultimately leads, uh, you know, them to a a big victory over Nebraska. I also want to say, too, I think Coastal Carolina got really lucky that we had the big upsets this week because we would have spent a lot of time on that game had Texas A&M and Notre Dame not lost to Sunbelt schools because I think that's very concerning for Jamie Chadwell's squad. I know they're without some pieces here early on in the season, but FCS Gardner-Webb comes to town and you – Hardly take care of business. I think we would have touched on that had we not seen some of these big upsets.
1: No, it's definitely strange times for ULL and Coastal teams. We're used to seeing be very, very dominant in games like this. They're playing it a little bit closer now. But I think I have to say, if you're looking at Coastal, though, they're taking care of business in the second half in all these games. They obviously want to be blowing these teams out and playing more dominantly. But I think there's still something to say about Grayson McCall's experience and the DNA of that team being able to finish games. So I don't think any team, especially in the Sun Belt East, is going to be taking Coastal lightly, but they definitely have some areas they can improve in 100%.
0: Well, it was a great weekend in the Sun Belt. Caden, congratulations. We have uh, reached episode five on this podcast journey. So many more to come, but talk about a great way to kind of christen our fifth episode with, you know, just an outstanding weekend in the Sun Belt. You know, so we want to thank you for joining. And, you know, it was a great weekend. And that's going to do it for our week two recap episode. What a weekend it was in the Sun Belt. A quick reminder that we will be back on Wednesday of this week, and we're going to have a special guest coming on in the podcast. We're still negotiating actively on that one. We hope to have an announcement in the coming days. But we're also going to take some time as well on Wednesday to really dive even deeper into this App State Troy matchup that College Game Day is going to be at. So make sure you join us on Wednesday for that special guest as well as our breakdown of app Troy over the weekend. And then again, we'll be back on Friday to preview the rest of the games over the weekend. So thank you so much for listening. It was another great episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe to the show on either Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you'd be so kind, take a moment to rate the show or leave us a quick review. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.